Good evening. It's uh, great to be back uh, with you again this week. I like to think back by popular demand. I might as well just keep that in my head, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh dear, but it's nice to be here with you. We're going to be uh, looking at this evening just a little bit from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to look at uh, two verses from chapter 8, just the opening two verses there, verses 1 and 2. Um, let me just read them to you. I'm reading from the NIV in case your translation is a little bit different. So, God's Word to us uh, this evening. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. God's Word to us this evening. Very challenging words there from uh, Moses as he speaks to the people of God. But uh, as you'll be aware, today is remembrance Sunday, and uh, it's one of those annual events in the nation's calendar that we assume everybody knows about. Shouldn't always assume. You know, um, this week um, I had working with me in, uh, in the branch that I'm, I'm currently in a chap that's from Rwanda, and he's, he's only been here about nine months. So I said to him yesterday morning, as part of the setup for the day, well, remember to, uh, today's uh, Armistice Day. We're going to have two minutes of silence at 11 o'clock. And he kind of just stared at me and said, well, why is that? You know, because you obviously just assume people would know because it's something that we've all done all the way through the year. So I had to explain to him, you know, that it's this time where we, uh, as a nation, we pause to reflect on those who have given their lives in the service of the nation to remember those who are maybe still struggling um, the after-effects of their service to, uh, to the nation and to pray for peace for the country. And it was really interesting speaking to him because he's, like I say, he's from Rwanda. And uh, he says, yeah, that's a really great idea. And, he's, and he started to tell me a little bit of his story about his time uh, during the genocide in Rwanda. He's quite a young guy. so. I, wouldn't have thought it would have affected him, but, but he had. And, uh, um, and he kind of like uh, said to me, almost off the cuff, oh, I was shot in the leg, but it was okay. It didn't hit the bone. It just went through. And you just think, my goodness, you know, you don't even get that on a Saturday night in Socky Hall Street, you know. Um, but it passed through his leg, and his brother and his sister had been macheted, and they had to uh, feign that they were dead, lying amongst all these bodies and stuff. And he was saying that, but, but he was so positive, I think that's such a great idea that you pause and you, you reflect on these times, you know. Uh, but he hadn't known anything about, you know, this uh, annual uh, day of remembrance. And of course, I see with many of you you're wearing coffee. Mine's still on. I usually lose it, you know, halfway through the day. But uh, you've got, you know, the poppies, this familiar sight 
that we all wear at this time of year. And we would all, as soon as you see a poppy, you probably automatically, oh yeah, it's to do with remembrance. You don't, you don't really need to be told that. And of course, it's become a bit of an iconic symbol of rem remembrance, the poppy, hasn't it? The poppy has that ability to flourish. If you've ever planted any poppies, they just seem to sprout up in the most unlikely places sometimes. And of course, that, that's why it came to become a symbol of remembrance as they popped up even amongst the carnage of battlefields. They would, they would still grow. And it's something that, that captures, I suppose, it, human resilience to survive, I suppose. And I suppose it's a, resen a resilience that is captured in that famous uh, poem in Flanders Field, where it says, in Flanders Field, the poppies blow between the crosses row and row that mark our place and in the sky the lark still bravely singing fly, scarce he heard among the guns below. You know, the, the poppy is that iconic symbol of remembrance. Yeah. And I suppose that today, Remembrance Sunday, reminds us that remembrance is important. So my question I want to explore uh, this evening with you is, is just this question, how much time do you spend nurturing the spiritual discipline of remembrance? Is it something you've even thought about doing? I was uh, reading a book recently and uh, it actually gave me a figure I was quite surprised by. It, it, uh, it quoted there that the Bible instructs us to remember or call to mind a remembrance over 250 times. Over 250 times the Bible instructs us to remember. But how good are we at remembering? David Siemens in his book Healing of Memories writes this. He says, in Scripture, memories is considered one of the most important aspects of God's mind and ours. It is central to God's nature as well as to forgiveness, salvation, and righteous living. God's ability to remember or not to remember is part of the divine mind or knowledge which filled the biblical authors with awe. Since we've been created in the divine image, we too have this ability. Though ours is limited, the biblical writers considered this facility a reason for wonder and praise. Have you ever thought of remembrance in that way? That it's an important aspect of who God is and who we are. That our ability to remember reflects that we are created in God's image. I don't know about you, but I, I certainly hadn't considered that before. So maybe part of a healthy spiritual life should involve remembrance. But then again, that leads on to other questions then. Well, why is it be beneficial? How should we remember? 
So hopefully our little reading uh, this evening will give us some guidance, some answers into, into how we should do that. Since it was a short reading, I'm just going to read it again just for you to, as we think about that. So Deuteronomy 8, 1 to 2 again. So be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So remembrance is part of a healthy spirituality, a healthy discipleship. How is it beneficial for us? Well, I think simply it just helps us to live well in the present. There's some truth in those old cliches that people sometimes say is that you need to learn from your mistakes and, and learn what works. That you need to allow experience to shape your future. You don't want to, be, you don't want to keep making the same old mistakes over and over again. We need to remember what went well and what went badly. And in this respect, remembrance is vital. One writer uh, puts it like this. He says, in the Judeo-Christian spiritual tradition, remembrance is intentional and deeply spiritual. We choose to remember, and in so doing, we are enabled to live in truth assuring that our present is not disconnected from but deeply informed by the past. The telling of the past instructs, informs, and encourages us to live in the present in light of the past, particularly those events in the past that we believe must shape the contours of our present. But the telling of the past should instruct, inform, and encourage us to live life in the present. And in our reading that, we, that I shared this evening, we find there that the future, sorry, the past and the present and the future become intertwined together. They become intertwined by looking at how the people had reacted, had acted towards God's laws and commands. Because in our reading, you'll, you'll be, if you're familiar with the book of Deuteronomy, you'll be aware that the people of God stand on the border of the promised land. They have spent the last 40 years wandering through the desert. But now, at last, they are about to enter into that place that the Lord had promised them. Now for me, I'm 44 now, that's quite scary in itself, but for me, if that had been 40 years for me, that would have been all my childhood, that would have been all my teenage years, it would have been all my university years, if you like, 
into having a, having a family. All my life, I've been in the desert. And now, I stand on the edge of something new and exciting with God. So Moses instructs his people at the beginning of verse 1, he says, be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. Now the Hebrew word there for careful can actually be translated as garb. So we could translate it as garb every command I'm giving you today. And it gives that feeling that, you know, God's commands are something special that need to be protected within our hearts, that we need to be careful with them. We need to handle them with care and with thought. And of course, these commands weren't to be just idle instructions that were kind of almost literally chiseled out in stone and just left to, to one side. But they were to be actively followed, Moses says. Followed and obeyed. And of course, the fruit of following these commands would be the Lord's blessing. As the verse finishes there, so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. That they would possess a land that would be overflowing with goodness, with blessing. If you read on into verse uh, 6, Moses describes what that blessing will look like. He says, Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and revering Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and the hills. Remember, they've just come out of the desert where it's dry, where water is at a premium to a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you, you can dig copper out of the hills. The blessings would be numerous. You'd almost be falling over yourself with all the good stuff that the Lord would have for His people. But there's a danger. Because as Moses gazes into the future, for he will not enter the promised land himself, but as he gazes into the future for his people, he sees there are major hurdles that lie ahead that will test the people's obedience, that will test to see, will they follow the Lord's commands? The future was bright with promise, but not free from danger. Because when they had settled into their new homes, when they started to prosper and enjoy the, the fruits of this great land, when the struggles and the hardships of the desert 
had been long forgotten, would they still walk faithfully with their Lord, their God? As Moses goes on to caution in verse 18, he says, Remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms His covenant. Would their eyes get distracted by the glitz and the glamour of false gods and idols who maybe promised much more for much less? Of course, Moses would sternly warn them against that course. Verse 19, this is the message translation, says this, If you forget, forget God, your God, and start taking up with other gods, serving and worshipping them, I'm on record right now as giving you firm warning that will be the end of you. So Moses encourages the people to remember. Remember your time in the desert. Verse 2 again says to us, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert those 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. For their past had been shaped by how they had obeyed God's commands. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years. But that time in the desert would have been much shorter if they had obeyed God's commands. They had stood on the edge of the promised land before when the spies had gone in to the land reporting back. And the people had said, oh, no way. There's no way we can, we can go there. They hadn't trusted in the Lord. They hadn't obeyed Him at that point, and a whole generation misses out on entering into that land of blessing that the Lord had said He would give them. So, their future would also be determined by how they would obey the Lord's commands question was, had they learned their lessons from the past? Had they taken the time to remember those 40 years that the Lord led them through the desert? Yeah. Remembrance, I think, is part of a healthy spirituality because it helps us to live well in the present. For we need to remember uh, the lessons of the past. Excuse me for a moment. And then it move, we go on to my second question, how should we remember? What should be our attitude as we remember? And I think it's simply that we need to remember with honesty and integrity. 
Because the Israelites are instructed as they stand on the precipice of this new chapter in their story not to forget the past, to remember the journey that had taken them up to this point as they stand on the border of this new place, to remember how the Lord had journeyed with them through the wilderness. But there's a problem. It would be so easy for them to retell their story through rose-tinted spectacles. But let's admit it, they have some great stories to tell. They could tell us about when they crossed the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was wiped out uh, behind them. They could tell the story of how they'd met God on Mount Sinai when He'd given the law. They could talk about the great victories that God had given them, the great battles that they'd won against the Amalekites and the Midianites. They've got some great stories to tell. They could edit their uh, desert uh, wanderings down to their best bits, if you like. A bit like X Factor. Here at the end, here's your best bits, the highlights that, that you want to remember. But it would be a glorified version of the past. But will that version help them as they move into the future? Will it help them when they're facing new challenges ahead? And maybe this is why Moses doesn't recall those momentous events, but instead he casts the past in relation to how they had obeyed the law. He says in verse 2 again, to know that what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, he says. Because from this perspective, if they're being honest, their story may reveal more lows than highs. The golden calf incident may be a story they might like to erase out of their their history. It wasn't their finest hour. Their journey through the desert wasn't all rejoicing, but seemed to be more about grumbling and moaning and complaining. Their story isn't just about the great victories, but often about their lack of faithfulness. In the desert, some hard lessons had to be learned. So the past needs to be remembered with honesty and integrity. It's an honesty I think we find illustrated as we read on into chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, sorry. It's a verse that recounts the Lord's gracious provision of manna in the desert uh, to the people as they wandered. Verse 3 says, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your forefathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. To teach you. To teach you. The 
Because the story of the manna in the desert could be retold from two very different angles. It could be told from a story, from an angle, sorry, that demonstrates the Lord's faithfulness to His people, His provision. But it also could be told from the perspective of the people's grumbling and moaning. That's why the Lord had given them manna. Both angles have powerful lessons to teach us. But what lesson would they choose to remember? Is it just the one that makes them look good? Or would they, be, would they remember with honesty and integrity of what happened that unfolded? Because remembrance needs to avoid nostalgic sentimentalism that pictures the past simply as a perfect time, the good old days when everything was brilliant, because it's a vision that the present can never live up to. It can never be as good as those good old days. One writer notes this. Nostalgic sentimentalism is not true remembering. An authentic act of remembrance allows the past to inform and animate the present. It enables us to have to be fully present for current challenges and opportunities to relish what we have now and to face the future with hope. That's the kind of remembrance that we need. So if we are to have remembrance as part of our discipleship, as part of our walk with God, then we will need to do it with honesty and integrity. So remembrance, part of a healthy spirituality, part of a healthy walk with God. It helps us to live well in the present. We need to remember, though, with honesty and integrity. So what does that mean for us today? Well, as I've reflected on this little passage, I've come to the conclusion that simply we mustn't forget the desert places. Because our our testimonies can often just recall, you know, those key times of God's intervention, the victories, the miraculous answers to prayer. I'm sure each of us here have great stories we could tell each other. And you know what? We should share those stories with one another. Encourage each other with those stories. These are important times. They are the faith builders. We should rejoice in God's faithfulness to us. But life is seldom lived on the mountaintop during these times of spiritual highs, if you like. Because many of us will have known darker, times, would have traveled through times that have been fraught with danger and uncertainty, where we aren't too sure where life is heading to. 
one of my uh, pastors at my home church at QP once re remarked to me, she said, Chris, do you know that mountaintops are often very barren places? Not much actually grows at the top of a mountain. And if you've done any hill walking, you, you'll probably be aware that that's pretty much true. You have a trig point and probably not much else. But in valleys, the grass grows greener. It is often lush. It is a place of growth. So our, our life's journey through those valleys that we sometimes have to pass through may be painful, but they're often places of growth. They teach us invaluable lessons. And it's important that we don't forget those lessons. We don't edit them out of our own stories. And I'm sure many of us have known times of spiritual revival, but also of dryness. That our walk with God sometimes can be punctuated by successes, but other times it's with failure and disappointment. It can feel as, at times as if we are traveling through a dry and parched land. God may feel far away and distant during these times. But we need to see the time spent in the desert, not as an inconvenient uh, diversion, but important times of preparation. For the people of God, they had spent 40 years wandering through the desert. God was preparing them to enter into the promised land. And now in our verse, verses, they stand on the edge of that new promise, that new beginning for them. They, their faith had to grow. Their trust in Him had to increase as they wandered through the desert, as they depended upon Him daily. It may not have been the most victorious living, but their faith was built. They needed to see that these wanderings were not punishments, but part of the tender care of their loving Father God. As it says in verse 5, it says, Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So the Lord your God disciplines you. So tonight you may feel as if you are in a desert place. Take heart. The Lord has not abandoned you. If you're willing to see it, see it through His eyes as a time of preparation. The people of God, before they entered the promised land, needed to remember and learn from that time spent in the desert. We may need to do the same as God maybe prepares us for something new. And take heart if you find yourself in the desert 
for you find yourself in good company. Even our Lord Jesus Christ spent time in the desert. It was only after being in the desert that the Lord then sent him out, commissioned him to proclaim the truth of his kingdom. And it's through that proclamation and ultimately Christ's death on that cross that we can find and make sense of our own desert wanderings. It is through this death that we can come to know God as our heavenly Father. So do not forget the desert places. They have important lessons to teach us. Lessons that can continue to deepen and enriching our walk with the Lord. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert. Amen. Let's take a little moment to pray and then I'll, I'll hand back to, to Ross.